0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Shmoozing with Rav Meir Schiller, Meir Enechachomim. You know, just like uh, anything done uh, before 9-11 or before COVID sounds like it creaks with the the dust of that era, I'm, I'm, I'm almost getting the sense that that anything pre-October 7th is somehow overly naive. And and, and the, the, the ideas of what Eretz Yisrael was about and what Eretz Yisrael will be uh, seem to uh, have become galvanized and changed. And you can't reference Eretz Yisrael without mentioning it. And, and, and we've talked about here how we didn't want these programs to be prisoners of, of, of a specific time. Still, I think today the urgency of connecting to Eretz Yisrael, of people who are not religious in any way, shape, or form, of taking trips to Eretz Yisrael, visiting Eretz Yisrael, it has increased almost uh, in a fever pitch. And I, I wanted to talk to you uh, not about whether you're planning to go, but since I think going to Eretz Yisrael is, 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 is primary in so many people's minds, let's talk a little bit about the idea of how Eretz Yisrael fits in to an American boy, especially an American boy who has found his place like you did, you know, within uh this within your teaching, the the nachas that you had intellectually. Uh, how was it that Eretz Israel played a role?
1: It, it always had enormous importance because um, in the Haredi world and particularly the Chassidim, I think the uh, Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael is a, uh, it's a very important component and it's not linked very much with the notion of the state of Israel. So that the desire to be there, to experience the Kedusha, to absorb the Kedusha, is something that plays a large role, I think, in all all Hasidic thinking. And I remember the first time I ever went there was when the Square Rebbe, the present Square Rebbe, went there to visit is Eltashvayr, who was the previous Vishnus Rebbe of or two Vishnus Rebbe's back now, of Chamea who was getting on in years, and he went to visit him together with the Square of in 1971, I believe. So, um, I remember being completely, uh, don't know what the word is, in ecstatic anticipation of finally being able to breathe the air, which had been uh, described as so holy to me in chassidische
0: and works. The notion, of course, of the avir veretz machim, the, the kedusha of each mokim, that is something that I think, you know, is, is, is understood probably universally across the spectrum of of, of, of orthodoxy, of or from uh, Jews. But the idea that that's where you have real avidus Hashem. That's where you have when I went there to Eretz for the first time, it's because I felt it's only Shaykh and Eretz to achieve Kedusha there. But in your world that you were in, yes, I want we want to see those Tzadikim and see those places, but it's not that we can't accomplish it here. Certainly.
1: Neither in Breuer's or Beshraga or in Square was there a notion you have to be there or you cannot experience real Torah, real mitzvahs unless you're there. No, not at all. It was a a great addition of holiness, and it was a transformative holiness. It wasn't that we're in the minor leagues here in America, sort of a la the famous Ramban, that we're in the minor leagues here getting ready for the majors, but um, it was just a you know great center of holiness, but uh, certainly one could achieve the same thing here. I think a difference between perhaps when you came up and I did was that when I was coming up in the ranks of Orthodoxy, it was not yet common to go to learn Erzesel for that in between year or years. And, um, therefore you went to wherever it was, Broyes, Beishagar, Square, and you stayed there. You stayed there in that, in that base You remained without Rosh Hashiva. So Erzesel played a role, but it wasn't like in later years where almost everybody went there for a while.
0: I just want to bring out to you for yourself and for our listeners that for Axi who's who believes that they're Dolvik and hashem every single moment, erstro is 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 a great treat, but it's not that oh, this is I need to stay. this is now I can really be from and and therefore, for you, as you say, it was it it added, but it wasn't like a hunger that if I don't have it, uh I, I won't be able to sustain myself.
1: Correct. Absolutely correct. That's true.
0: Yes. You know, you, you obviously were in Meishor, in Gaula. Did you discover differences? I mean, here you are, obviously, somebody trained to observe. Could you tell any differences between Sidim, uh Sug Skver, New York, to what you were seeing in Eretz Yisrael? No, I don't think so.
1: I The first time we went with the square Reb in the early 70s, uh We stayed, a lot of us stayed, in Yeshivas Maranayim, which was the newly born Rachmastrifki Yeshiva in Gaula. We stayed there in the dorm, we ate there in the Yeshiva. And I would not have noticed a, a serious difference between the Yeshiva and, and Maranayim. I don't think so. And um the same thing I visited when I was there. I went to Bell's, I went to Gare, I went to other places. It was all fascinating, it was all intriguing. But I, I didn't see uh bells or guerre different than Square, except to the degree that Bells and guerre are different than Square, but not because of the artistral component, not at all. And uh in Meishara where I uh I'm I'm a great uh lover from a distance of Rabar La Roth and uh Told and certainly the earliest farm of Rabar of Rabarla al- Shulchan Atar. There was one And the 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 Gerish Minamunim and the um the Sham itself. And uh Rabadalah and Tol the is not really on the on the square list of uh of um accepted works necessarily. But I was once in Williamsburg many, many years ago. In those days there were no Hasidic clothing stores in Muncie. So if you want to get a new Bekish or a new reckless, you had to go to Williamsburg. Glick and Roth. Glick on on Broadway and Roth, wherever he was. And you had to go there to buy these, these clothing, this clothing. And, um, I remember I davened shakras and Torah a Das, which was then still in Williamsburg, And I found a, a shaman moon on the shelves. And I remember sitting down with it after davening and being swept up by it. So this is one of the, um, the crisis of conscience that I had in those days when I would encounter a safer
0: that gave me inspiration but was not on the square list of permitted works? <laughs> Let me bond with you that when I first pick up the munim and I see a section that's called Kabbolas Oyel Malchus Shamayim, and like what? Again, that's a pretty heady, you know, uh, chapter title. And when you read it, it's almost like a megaphone is is blasting in your head. It's written in you know what I would say is normal rabbinic language but strung together with such energy and passion that if you read kabbalah and I, I considered myself you know somewhat of a choyker and a a critical reader but i was also very much taken by the the and power of of the frumkite in that in that sefer 100% in recent uh, years there have been sociologists who have decided there is something significant about the fact that so many Chidim are more comfortable in Hebrew than they are in Yiddish. Of course, Yiddish is the lingua franca that the shiurim and the shmuzim are given. But when you sit in the ger lunchroom, you're going to hear in Eretz Yisrael a lot of ivrit. And you're not going to hear ivrit, ivris. You're going to hear ivrit the way it's spoken by the average Israeli on the street. And if you go to the Ger Besmedrish in Borough Park, uh, you're going to hear Yiddish. So, so sociologists have made a point of of, of showing that the, the Chassidim in America uh, hold on to Yiddish for dear life, and, and when they speak English, they sound like someone out of central casting. Whereas the, the, the Chassidim in Eretz Yisroel, if you didn't see the face uh, that was talking— you could have thought that it was a typical sabra speaking to you. So, wh- what do you make of that phenomenon?
1: Well, well, first of all, I have to add a factual ha'ara uh, here, and that is ger, uh, what we call the vasa slanim. There are groups that are a little more susceptible to this this Hebrew impregnation, and other groups that are much more uh, fierce. And trying to limit that, I mean, the Shvatzislanim. I don't think you'd find Hebrew spoken as you would by the Vassislanim. So I think it does vary a little bit, and more Hebrew in Geula, less Hebrew Meisharim. So I think it, it it does it does vary a bit. But also, in 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 America, I think the answer is simple. In America, the speaking Yiddish is your identity; it's your preservation of your identity, whereas. Uh, Yiddish as opposed to Hebrew and answer, so oh, this, this is like a fail. still within the Jewish context. So I think that that's certainly a part of it.
0: Right. It, but it, it does show somewhat of an acclimation to, you know, a, a, a more open society, I think, and allows them passage in that society, whether it's at the store, whereas there, there, there remains among most of the Chasidish a sort of an awkwardness here in the United States, a, um, uh, I, I would also tell you that when I was learning in the mirror, uh, unfortunately, you know, life throws a lot of curves at you, and I, I've had to become an early bird. But my my is to be a night guy, and I would I would look in Basis Shtroh when I was learning in the mirror. The lights went off. There was a on electricity, the generator, whatever they had. So it was hard to find a place that you can find lights on Fratik by the Nacht. So I discovered the one place that. Had the lights on the whole night was on uh, was the uh, was the Satmer Bismedish, so that's where I would go on Friday night to learn till three whatever it was two three three thirty in the morning whatever it was there in in Satmer that was the place where Yiddish was supreme. I did not hear any Hebrew spoken there whatsoever. And, and because I was not fluent in Hebrew, that was the place where I, you know, I was able to schmooze and, 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 and really interact with the Ch'sidish there, uh, in Satmar. You're right. The, the Satmar Chever Beshitta will not use it because of the, what, what, what the,
1: what Same right? thing in the Meishar and or sort of the more hardcore parts of me. I would, I would assume told
0: And also the more hardcore Mesh you wouldn't, wouldn't hear Hebrew. Now, so so that trip that you mentioned, that that sort of uh, delegation, that of course was your first uh, foray. Tell me about what you were trying to accomplish on some of your other trips.
1: Right. So, as far as my responsibilities go, in my North Dox, it gives you two weeks off in January. There was the, there were those two weeks, and of course the summer was uh, was also free. Incidentally, just as a footnote here. Um I lived through a transformation of modern orthodoxy from the mid-'70s to later on, in which they moved the vacation.
0: Originally, it was the Christmas vacation, right? Yes, it was. Yes,
1: it was. Uh, I don't know what the situation is today, but uh, two of the holdouts were Ramaz and Frisch, who kept the December 25th vacation, and therefore, during the two-week second half of January, I was very often called upon to referee games between those two schools because they were in session. Nobody else was in session 2nd of January. I
0: I will tell you that I've done some research about this point and Rav Moshe was a kanoi about it. Rav Moshe wrote to various heads of school about it because the reason why it was normal to give off, not because, you know, they needed to trim the tree or to stuff a stocking, but they did it because of the difficulty of uh, of the secular studies teachers who were not did not want to come during their vacation. And it was even greater than the secular studies teachers where substitutes could be found. There were the bus drivers. There was the buses. There was uh, union issues about that. So uh, on so many practical levels, it made sense. So Rav Moshe pushed back and said okay but the 25th by, hook or by crook you, there there should be there should be something i understand the rest of the week but we shouldn't uh, give off that day that would be uh, too much of a admission that somehow you know we are connected to to you know, the holiday that celebrates the birth of christ that was the why
1: that was why it's just true. Why just we had the um, end of december but we did come in to give share on the 25th there was no english but we followed that policy of coming in to learn the 25th and then off for the rest of the time
0: after that. And, and I think Rav Moshe, although, you know, it, 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 as so many other psukim and shittas, it, it, it took a while for it to penetrate to the point, as you said, that uh, the the vacations ended up being some strange, in the middle of January, yeshiva week, or whatever it is they call it.
1: Right, right. So anyway, so that's usually when I would go the second half of January or during the summer, and very often I set a goal to enrich um, my seichel or my neshama by visiting a particular segment of the Israeli population. I had a, a right-wing religious Zionist trip, I had a left-wing religious Zionist trip, I had a Me'esha'arim, Tol-Saharan, Breslov trip. Uh, so each one of them had sort of a different um, theme perhaps and my goal was to enrich my own, to enrich my own neshama by imbibing the aspects of each one of these approaches in, to bring it into my, to my own context. So that let's say the right-wing religious Zionist trip, it would be focused on the Kadusha Zaharats and the, the vast expanses of that Kadusha and how people link the Kadusha Zaharats to their own Sashem. So I went to all the major places. I went to, uh I have a Talmud who's very close to the right-wing religious Zionist camp, and he took me around to uh, the nether reaches of the Garin Shem, Itama, Yitzhar, Ha-Bracha, and Elomore, and I met there with Rashi Yeshiva, because this fellow was a contributor to many of their causes, so I got access. And I remember sitting there in Elomore with Rav Lavanan, who was Rashi there, and I asked him, the question of how he could be so absolutely sure of the truths of religious Zionism, given that a large segment of jewelry uh did not agree with those assumptions, and he just pointed at the svarim in his room and he said, Well, all of this teaches us, simply speaking, that religious Zionist is the ultimate truth. And I remember thinking to myself, if I'd be sitting, you know, in a Satmanaturakata uh, um, environment, they say the exact same thing. They say, oh, look at all the sperm. It's obvious that this is a violation of Gazara Sagalis. But what I sought to do was to, um, uh, render passionate my own attachments to the particularistic worldview of each one of these segments. So, for example, I, I did a, a left one with the designist visit, which I went to Malik Gilboa and, um, some people uh, might regard Haritsyona in that category. Uh, I visited uh, Avi Ravitsky and Uri Simon, who are, who are prominent left-wing religious Zionist thinkers. And there I was trying to absorb a Judaism which had a sense of universal humanism.
0: Anyone who travels in Eretz Israel recognizes the location, the loquaciousness of almost every Israeli compared to uh, an American. Every cab driver has a political role. That's my point. So the same thing for sure is true by Rosh and Rosh Ekoilu. And I'm sure that if you arranged uh, a visit that you were going to get, not a lecture, but you were definitely going to get a uh, impassioned description of why they hold what they hold. But, you know as well as I do that hearing the speech is not what Shemesh Talmudah Chachomim is. You know, Shemesh Talmudah comes from spending time. So were, were you able to, like, walk in their shoes?
1: What I tried to do, whether it was told us to or Malagilboyah, I tried to, um, Davin there a few times and I tried to be there in the uh, yeshivas there a few times as well. You know, to whatever degree I could, I tried to hang with the, uh, to tell me them a bit and shmooze with them. Obviously, you know, a whirlwind, a ten-day tour, or whatever it was, is not the best means to do this. But it's it's what I had, and I I I, I think that to some extent, I have a, a strong sense of empathy to the environments that I exist in, and that I tried very much to sort of feel the the pitter patter of the neshamas. The also other important thing is that what you're saying is correct. One must really be there and absorb it. And also because books are theoretical. In other words, when I knew, when I knew why you from reading Rabbi Lam or Rabbi Liechtenstein, I was very different than walking into my orthodoxy. And the same thing told the Saran. The rabatel is a uh, um, svarim, are very inspiring, but sort of have to be there with the Tomidim actually to experience it in its reality. There's the... Is the playbook, and there are the game films in football.
0: So you can you can read the playbook, but you got to watch some game films in order to really understand what's going right. on. And I think the using your football analogy, it's the magicians on the field who are able to somehow improvise and take aspects of that playbook and turn it into something magical. We talked about that a little bit last week. That part of what, in many ways, upset you was how the practicum uh, differed. From the theoretical uh, and 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 the frustrations about why uh, one could not be that way, I, I, I do think that in this regard, the, the you called them the right wing uh, Zionists, the Hiznachliot, the Chardalniks, they stick pretty much to the playbook. Whether it's Ratzvi Yehuda to the extreme, Rvshom Aviner or others, Aviner
1: since the disengagement is not a hero in that world.
0: Yes, but but he had been for many the the next generation after Eptzvi Yehuda. But yes, m- but but my point is is that they walk the walk. Whereas when you talk about the left wing orthodoxy, the intellectual orthodoxy of Malo Gilboa. Which is, again, for our listeners, not exactly, you know, the great giant institution it happens to be a unique institution. But, but Gush, I think, is, is, is a prime example. The intellectual, intellectual energies and sometimes gymnastics that they sometimes have to perform in terms of somehow dealing with giving up land, understanding what the generals want, uh, living within the country, dealing with peace issues. They, I think, are are in, you know have a harder time. You know, what is their ideology? It's it's sort of hard to know. Would you agree? Uh, not necessarily. I
1: I I'd say the following: that again, Malagobo is not is not really gush. It's sort of a, a primitive world because Shabbat Lichtenstein did leave an imprint on uh, on Haratzion, which uh, you know, is very different than Rabbi Bigman and Rabbi Gilad in uh, in Malagaba. but. I think that they're both struggling with two things: one is what are we to make of the other seven billion people in the world besides ourselves, and what are we to make of the world so whereas whereas um those settlements around Shem uh they're not very much concerned with the other seven billion people in the world, so in that sense, reality is is more of a kasha on them. Than it is amongst the left-wing religious designers to at least acknowledge that other human beings,
0: other human beings have have a, a purpose of their own. For them, they are involved in the messianic embodiment of of living in Eretz Yisrael and dealing with the day-to-day dangers that are, are a byproduct of that approach. Oh yes, I mean I don't I don't
1: accuse them of a lack of courage. I don't accuse them of hypocrisy but I do accuse them of, of not giving uh, spiritual and moral significance to the rest of mankind.
0: Right. They, they, they consider it incidental. They, they really believe that they are involved in activity that will usher in uh, the great period of, of the beatification of everything wonderful for mankind. And I think that's where it's occupying a place in, in their head. You know, one of the more most most aggressive figures in that camp— uh, you mentioned to me off-pod was someone that you had the schuss, I guess, to to meet and to talk to, was Ramosha Levenger. Did he become someone you, like one of your, as you mentioned last week, one of your rabbeim? Ah, right. That's
1: a fair question. Their belief is that um we have to sort of move events towards either an expulsion or a serious subjugation of the Palestinians, and that is part of the Messianic process to them. I wouldn't say that they entered into my pantheon of heroes. I, I would say more that from them I derived a, a fierce sense of attachment to Kibriovos, to the Kedusha of Kibriovos, Kedusha of Ertusil, and to me, and I'll put this as a side point here, Anybody who is shomator mitzvahs in, in a real sense, and is trying to grapple with what God wants of us as Jews, as human beings, I'm a fan. I may not be a fan in the sense that I believe you have the right solution to heaven, but I am a fan in the sense you're a serious Jew. You care. You're committed. You you um, walk the walk and don't just talk the talk. So in that sense they're an inspiration. But um I, I don't think I absorbed from them exactly practical policy as regards, you know, three million people in the West Bank or two million in Gaza. No, I don't think so.
0: Going to the sites that you mentioned, you mentioned Chevron, going to these Makoy Meshaq did they did they result in an epiphany in, in your mind? Was it was were you were you jumping out of your skin the fact that you were able to go with Chevron to go to Marasa
1: i hope so. Uh, it might sound a little pretentious to say that, but I, that was certainly the goal to have a, um, a transformative spiritual moment. One shouldn't go to Marsmah or Beislechem, or, or Meiran, or Svas without wanting to have a transformative moment. That's the purpose of going there to absorb the Kedusha, to be Miss Paolo. So, uh, that was certainly the reason I went there. I, I would sit at these places for a, a long time if I could. Usually, I'm traveling with uh, my son, who has a drop less patience than I do. But I would sit in these places for a long time. Again, this may sound uh, almost childish, but uh, ever since my mother took me to Museum of Natural History in the Hayden Planetarium, Francis Tavern, and these places, I am a big sucker—as big a sucker as there might be—for the gift shop when the when the trip is over. You know, (laughs) getting the books of the dinosaurs and all that. So I always found in Hebron that I rekindled this and there is a Svarim gift shop there in, uh, this little cafeteria there. So I always found myself, I have on my shelves here, dozens and dozens of Svarim and booklets concerning Hebron, the Kadushas, Hebron, et cetera. So, uh, in that sense, it was, uh, even more transformative than, uh, seeing Tyrannosaurus Rex. There's a, a, a fantastic story of, about uh, the Basai, and before he went out to Sral, he settled in Sfas, and he went to visit his Rebbe, the Chernobyl Maggid, before he went. And the Chernobyl Maggid said to him, You'll probably be in Meiron. He said, Yeah, sich, I'll be in Meiron. So uh, I, I have to go into the Yiddish here, because the, the punchline is much better in Yiddish. So he said to him, Meiron, de oizvein in de oigen. So he said, Was meinst du, Dana Eugen? For the Yiddish, for the English listeners, he said you should cry out the eyes, which is clumsy in English. They said to him, Do you think I mean your eyes? No, I mean his eyes or Shimon's eyes and make sure that he should see.
0: In other words, the ability to commune and to actually connect. I I know in some ways it goes against this sort of rationalistic uh, view. But to me, being mishtatech on Kivri Yavis really does mean an ancestor connection. It doesn't really, in any way, take away from the fact that there is only one B'eroylom, and it's not like I am <laughs> making a god out of, out, out, out of any of them.
1: I have the, the tapes, of Meir Shekhtar's tapes. Uh, he's a, a formidable breast of Mashpia in Yerushalayim, and he, he has some tapes, one on the Arizal, one on Rav so I remember a couple of times when we went up when we went up north. That uh, I listened to his tapes on the way up to bring oneself into the proper of I, I think we we can't just lean back and say I am not stimulated. We have to seek to be stimulated by appropriate readings and prayers and so on and so forth. So we we can't just say like a kid sits back and, and says, Oh,
0: I'm bored. I was like <laughs> that. That's your fault. You have to stimulate yourself. Obviously, you're referring to Tzfas as the Mokom, not only of the Ari, but of course of the, of a whole renaissance of Jewish life in the 16th century that was unmatched, really unparalleled the period. And, and you're correct, without a knowledge of, of that history of the Murray Bay Rav, or the Beis Yosef, and the Alshech, and of course the Arizal, you know, Tzfas is just an artist colony. And it, it really, in a way, is it, it, it's, it's sort of like, to me, it's almost like the Shabal of the terusha miksav of the kaisel and the Marsa machpela, The the, the kaisel and the Marsa machpela is the base HaMikdosh, the ovois, That's Tanakh, and svas represents in a way that that period of uh, you know where the Shulchan Arach was written, where the where the Arizal uh, basically shattered the Rambam's carefully constructed encyclopedia of what mysticism was and turned it into what we what we know today. The fount that eventually spawns, So going there to the Arizal's Mikveh is sort of like, as I said, the, the Tayyar al Ped of the, of, of the Rabbonim that were so important.
1: The, uh, when, when the Square Rebbe's was there once in his life when the Hantiger Rebbe was married in 1959, uh, and he came out of the Arizal's Mikveh. So there had been some mumblings amongst the Oedim that the travel agent who had arranged the trip, who was a Square, Bala Bus, that he had Charged too much for the trip. When the Rabbi Rahi <laughs> came out of the mikveh, he said, he said, thinks he's fooled us with the price. He says, nine, we fooled him. <laughs> the reason that Rizal's mikveh was worth much more than that trip might actually have, uh, have cost.
0: I agree that, that there is a jolt of energy of that cold oh. water is, oh. is, is incredible. It's almost like you feel it becoming a new lifeblood within you when it happens.
1: Any Talmud of mine that goes there, it's just, uh, I'll, I'll always tell them, you have to go to the Sol's, you have to go to the El-Zalz And If you're not going to, go to the El-Zalz what are you going for? I mean, they something <laughs> you have to go <laughs> to
0: right. i I Right. I want to end today with uh, something that you told me off pod, that one of your trips was not only the gamut of charedim, the, the left Zionists, the right Zionists, the Haredalniks, you actually spent a decent amount of time in an arab city and not only that it, it sort of not only gave you a sense of arab life but it also fed another one of your passions which of course is uh, is competitive sport and it also fed my sense of intergroup hopefulness
1: in israel there is one team that plays in the premiership of the israeli soccer league, the Al, and that's benaze sachnin the sons of sachnin which is an Arab team, largely an Arab team. They do have Jews here and there, but largely an Arab team, and they're based in the Arab town of Sakhnin, which is not too far from uh, Tiberia. And I decided on one trip, I'm going to Sakhnin. I don't know who I'm going to meet, what I'm going to find there, but I want to find somebody who I can connect with, walking over the Jewish-Arab barrier and connect through sports. I've always felt when I watch the World Cup and I see Islam, or African countries that sports is a great way to connect with other human beings. So I hire an Israeli cab driver who's not so enthusiastic about the trip, and I say, I want to go to Sachnin. He says, where do you want to go in Sachnin? I don't really know. I want to somehow go to Sachnin and connect with some Muslims there about their team, Bnei Sachnin. So we go to Sachin, there's an all Arab town, there's not, not a Jew to be seen. You go in there, the kids are coming out of school, hundreds of Arab teenagers are walking the streets, and he, this guy's getting nervous, and I said, no, no, we're going to find the place I'm looking for. So finally we find the stadium, it's locked up, nothing there, and we keep driving, I won't give up. We finally get on a dirt road somewhere, and I see what we would call in America a sporting goods store sort of an old decrepit store, which has sachnin uniforms and soccer balls in the window, and I say, oh, this is what we're looking for. So we get out of the car, and we go into the the store there, and through a combination of Hebrew and English and so forth, I say, you know, I've always been following B'nai Sachnin and They fall into an absolute ecstasy, and they start calling their cousin and their uncle and their brother, and they're bringing tea and bringing this and bringing everything, and I'm buying some stuff, and they're giving me free stuff, and they're taking pictures of me, and it was an absolute two hours of just a meeting of the minds, a brotherly meeting of the minds. And the way when we walked out of the the store, I turned to the cab driver, and I said to him, Uh, In English, they say, so what do you say now? What do you say now? And he says, I say, you should run for mayor of Sahnin. (laughs) So it was a a very hopeful, very hopeful moment. And uh, maybe that hopefulness can yet be realized in Erich Israel to some degree.
0: Many have pointed out, Mayor, that despite, you know, the the mixed allegiances that, uh, to say the least, that is prevalent among the Israeli Arabs – their life and this was of course not an occupied territory this was this was part of eretz that that's an arab city in eretz scroll um yes. the, the quality of their life is really much greater than what what is bemoaned by the, the of the palestinians in gaza they have access to so many uh, uh, uh benefits of being part of the israeli society true they they might feel that they are second class and and hated However, most of them have work options in Israel that allow them to have, uh, to make a living and to be part of uh, of the Israeli Kupat Cholim that gives them uh, free medical. So I think what needs to be underscored is that you didn't find a, an inherent enmity towards yourself, although you were obviously a, a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, a Hasidic Jew, um, you were able to discover that these cousins are not so bad. Absolutely, absolutely. As did my cab driver, who was skeptical to begin with. You wonder, of course, the the psukim and the Torah that allude to the rapprochement between Yitzchak and Yishmol, the history which has given Yishmol so much control for so many hundreds, hundreds of years, and the Zohar Kodesh and and other sources that that both of us probably feel are, are authentic and accurate, Indicate that there is meant to be a hiskalus of Yishmo and and Yitzchok, and you know I, I guess your 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 trip there cemented that in your mind that that is achievable, you know. In light of again, I started today's discussion saying how maybe the world can't go back to pre October seventh. It sounds like your memories of of of, of the Sachnin soccer fans makes you believe that that something is possible in terms of uh, even in, in, in the political situation, the way it is now. Oh,
1: I, I remain to some degree hopeful. Again, there's so much uh, pain and suffering on both sides. I, I'm i a daily communicant um, on Al Jazeera and Democracy Now! So I know about what pain and suffering there is on that side and certainly Jewish histories. So, there's a lot to be overcome but who knows as you say maybe there is maybe the messianic vision is not quite that of the and shem settlements maybe it's more the moluga vision maybe
0: in tanakh itself you have the warring camps of of david and shaul that that wanted to engage in a in, in in a game yep and there was this idea that despite these these ideologies ideologies that were against each other that there was somehow a way that the two camps could meet in a competitive fashion, where a game could happen as sort of a a, a gladiator type of challenge.
1: Nineteen fourteen, the Christmas
0: truce, right? Yes, yes, that was. I was thinking about that as well. Right. It, it, it's but it, but it even stems from Tanakh itself. That one turned bloody, unfortunately, as you know.
1: Well, because they're, because their leaders, their leaders gave that the next day the order: "You're never doing this again. We want you to get back to killing each other." So uh, that's why that failed. If it would have been up to the soldiers, I think they could have they could have settled World War One right there.
0: And and perhaps that's what you're saying. There, you know, in your w- worldview, there as much as you know, you hear as you know, so many people refer to sports as 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 the misyavnim. This uh, is Yovan, especially in many of the uh chever that I have been teachers of. They've told me that that as they were growing up. Their rebellion kept on telling them how playing basketball, this is Yavon, this is what Yavon wants, you're from the Misyavnim. It could be that sports, maybe because of its aggressiveness, because of its power, uh, can somehow be uh, sort of a means, a buffer, uh, to allow a cooling down and a, a commonality that can maybe open up a crack, a possibility of, of peace. So with that, <laughs> wishing everybody, of course, the best. Thank you, Ramirez. We'll catch you hopefully again next week. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom.